Well, good evening, everyone. It is uh, such a huge highlight for me uh, to be here. And Chad, this is not Chad. His name is The Chad. And uh, every church needs uh, The Chad. And uh, it's great to have him with. And uh, I really have been looking forward to this weekend. As Bruce was saying, Bruce is, uh, I, I don't know if you can have best friends, but surely like one of them. And uh, I've, Bruce, more than that, he's actually taught me the value of friendship. And, and I'm not one of those grow to school, have a best buddy kind of person. He's taught me over the years the, the wonder of friendship. So uh, it's such a privilege to be here, Bruce. Thank you for this opportunity. And uh, yeah, we've had some adventures together. <laughs> we've had, uh, but it's, uh, you know what Bruce was saying a moment ago? He said, we, we love because he first loved us. Before I get into the notes, we'll get to that just now. I am absolutely amazed at, at the power of God's word and how one little revelation, one word from God, is it a bit loud and echoey? Was it just me? Just, just keep on going. How, how sometimes one little word, one revelation can radically change your life completely. And that one for me was one of them. I think it's, it's, is it 1 John four nineteen or something. We love because he first loved us. Did you know Bible tells us why you were created? It says in Isaiah 43, I think, is we were created for his glory. We literally are created as reflectors of God's glory. And, and, and every human being, every fallen human being even knows that we were created for glory. Satan is quite clever. All he did was just change the one little word. Instead of created for his glory, we think we created for our glory. And that's the problem. The whole problem in the world is people think they created for their own glory. But the Bible says we were created for his glory. In other words, we literally were created to mirror, to reflect the glory of God. And what I love so much is, I mean, I'm an engineer by background, and so I like principles and like how-to and skills, and this is what you do to change, but it doesn't work. What works is when you learn to reflect His glory. We love because He, in, in other words, have you ever met a grumpy, horrible Christian? Not this church, like in other churches. <laughs> have you ever met any of those? You know what the problem is with them? This is the problem. I mean, you can't teach them three points on how to love someone. The problem with them is they've never received God's love. You think it's obvious. Everyone knows God loves them, but they've never been able to receive it because of either the hardness of heart, closeness of heart, stubborn, rebellion, religiousness, whatever it might be. They've the past hurt. They've never been able to actually get their heart around the fact that God loves them. You see, the moment the revelation breaks in, guess what? You will always reflect your revelation of God. I'm not super prophetic, but I could spend a bit of time with you, and pretty soon I would know your revelation of God. I mean, if you sit there whining about everything, you obviously have a very small revelation of God. If you're completely worried about everything, you obviously don't know that God is with you. So I don't, you don't have to be, you can pretty quickly pick up someone's real revelation of God because without knowing it, you will always be reflecting God's, the revelation you have of God. So now, any of you struggle with patience? Guess what? Guess what the real problem is? Not your spouse, it's not them. No, the real, the real root of your impatience is actually you've never had a revelation of how patient God is with you. Because when that, when that breaks in, it's like, yo, Lord, if I was you, I would have hit me with lightning a long time ago. Have you ever, 
one of the biggest problems in church is, is people who struggle to, to really forgive others. Guess what the real problem is? They've never fully been able to see, receive God's mercy for them. Because when you realize you and I have, have sinned against the holy God of heaven, when that breaks in, it actually, how could I not reflect mercy to others when I've received so much? Does that make sense? It's powerful. That's why for me, instead of teaching principles and points, oh God, we want to catch a greater revelation of you. Because you can't help but actually, I've been, I've been trying to catch deeply. I mean, but the problem is the head's easy, the heart is difficult. Jesus, in fact, he said to Peter, remember, this is not revealed to you by any man, but by my Father in heaven. It takes the Father, the anointing of the Holy Spirit, to get stuff from here to here. Let me give you an idea what I'm talking about. How many of you can finish this verse? Psalm 23, verse 1, the Lord is my? Everybody knows it. How does that psalm finish? Surely, I love that word, surely. Surely is like an aha moment. It's like, aha, surely, what? See, if you've had a revelation that the Lord is my shepherd, the natural, the reflection of that revelation, oh, but surely goodness and mercy are going to follow me. If I just follow the shepherd, I think goodness and mercy are following me, but actually they're following Jesus and I'm just tucked in behind him. <laughs> For me, that was a that was a game changer. I struggled with pessimism all my life. I mean, I'm a natural, half-empty gunner. But, but surely, goodness and mercy must follow me if I follow Jesus. The Lord is my shepherd. That's why I want to just stir inside of you. What a hunger. Just go after a greater revelation of Jesus. The deeper your revelation of Jesus, the more you'll naturally reflect that to the world. Amen. Sure. I do all the time, Bruce, especially for you. <laughs> Father, we, we hunger. You're, you're, we know that you delight in wanting to share a greater revelation of yourself with us. And, and we want to come hungry tonight. Hungry, Lord, for a greater revelation of you. Holy Spirit, we recognize that it's inadequate. We can't do it ourselves. But you, Holy Spirit, you the one who opens blinded eyes. You open hardened hearts. Come tonight, I pray. In you, Jesus, hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Oh, Lord God, I pray that you'd come and speak to every single one of us tonight in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, God's word is so powerful. I'm not going to go down this rabbit hole for long, but I want to stir your heart. I've been studying recently how our lives, you and me, because we read the Bible, and, and a lot of what we read about in the Bible is Paul helping to teach us what Jesus was talking about in the Gospels. He explained it in the letters. So Paul's writing has influenced us and our churches and the way we do things. And how much of Paul's writing and understanding was shaped by one word, and it was a two-letter word. I'm convinced almost all of Paul's revelation came down to one word made of two letters. When he encountered Jesus one day on a dusty road, after Christians, persecuting Christians, remember that story, Acts 9? He's walking along, light flashes down, falls to the ground, and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Think about that for a moment. In that moment, you know when you knock a domino and... I've been pondering how many dominoes were knocked over with that little word, me. 
When Paul suddenly realized, you mean, if, if I am horrible to a Christian, amen, exactly, amen. Did you say amen, or was it? Oh, oh sure. <laughs> you mess with a Christian. You touch a Christian, you're touching Jesus. Why are you persecuting me? In that moment, Paul suddenly, yo, this whole, our salvation is all about covenant. We know covenant. Covenant's like marriage, easiest way to remember. One flesh, what's yours is mine, mine is yours. In that moment, Paul realized to touch a Christian touching Jesus, this is covenant, one flesh. That means all that's mine is Jesus, all that's Jesus is mine. That means yo, all of my, what do you bring to the relationship? Nice one, sin, guilt, shame. And Jesus says, I'll take it. What's yours is mine. Nailed to the cross. And what's mine is yours. Righteousness, holiness, eternal life, the Holy Spirit, position in heaven, inheritance of the nations is yours. Yo, who wants to get baptized? Baptism is like the wedding ceremony. when We're united with Christ in baptism. It's a beautiful thing. The whole teaching of the body of Christ comes from that. We, you touch, you persecute a Christian. Why are you persecuting me? That means we literally are his body. My point is this. So if you look at Paul's theology, every time he says in Christ, in him, in Christ, in him, all comes down to that. Every time he speaks about the body, we his body, the ten, we, all comes down to one little word, why are you persecuting me? Imagine if we listen to God more. Not just a reading plan to tick off, I read the Bible today. God, speak to me. Speak to me. One word from God can radically change us. There's the word I want us to get a hold of tonight. I want to talk about the word full. Full. Because I'm talking to leaders tonight, and we're going to be looking at a passage, well-known passage. You've read it a hundred times, I'm sure, if you've been a Christian more than a year or two. But really what it's going to come down to, when we break leadership, kingdom leadership, all of that down to its simplest form, when they look for leaders, you know what they look for? Fullness. Fullness. What does it mean to be full, full of the Holy Spirit? We're doing a preaching journey at home at the moment. It's called Deeper, which is all about pursuing a greater fullness of the Holy Spirit. What if I suddenly realized what I thought was full of the Spirit was actually like half a tank because God's got so much more. But I've settled into it like a normal. This is what it means normal for me to be full of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is saying, Brent, that's nothing. That's like ankle deep. I want you to go waist deep. I want you to go deeper. I actually asked our church once, I said, how many of you feel like maybe only half full of the Spirit or less? I won't do it to your church. Our church, like 80% of people said, I, I, I'm feeling like less than half full of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, dear God, how can we be doing church? Imagine going to a petrol station because your car's on empty and, and you get to the petrol station and the guys are amazing because they're so smiley and, and they get there and, and they kind of clean your windscreen, check the tire pressure, oil, water. We've got a beautiful coffee inside our quick shop and they wave you goodbye and it's like, wow, have a great week. But they never filled your tank. <laughs> guys, we can do that at church. We can have people walking out on a Sunday morning just as empty as when they arrived. I want to talk about fullness, full, full. What does it mean? Because that's, that's what leadership in the kingdom of God is going to come down to. And here's the sobering truth. You are, and I, I'm convinced, are as full of the Holy Spirit as we want to be. 
Bible says we've been given the Spirit without measure. But either you're full of the Holy Spirit or you're full of, well, yourself. <laughs> so one has to increase for the other to decrease. You can't be full of yourself and full of the Holy Spirit, which is why the pursuit of humility, surrender, yielding, is, is a crucial. That's, we, when we talk about fullness, we're actually talking about maturity. Because to be full of the Holy Spirit, it's going to mean trusting Him. It's going to mean yielding to Him. It's going to mean less of me and, and more of you. I want you to just grab hold. We're going to get to the notes now. But, but really, it's going to come down to this big truth. Pursuing fullness. If as a leadership team, whether you've got a leadership function, role, title, position, whatever, the key thing, am I full, full of the Holy Spirit? Does that make sense? So let's dive into it. Five-star leaders. Chad here is an amazing communicator, and he's taught me many things. One of the biggest things he's taught me is, Brent, you have to know the difference between cheesy and corny. Because cheesy is a no-no. Don't go there. Corny can work, sort of. Okay, so, so when we talk, I mean, the title here, five-star leaders, um, it's corny, but hopefully not cheesy. So hopefully it works, because corny is like you can remember it. Cheesy is just, anyway, so why five-star leaders? That's what we're going to be talking about tonight. And, and this is deeply profound and life-transforming. So I was on a mission trip once in Malawi. And I come from Richards Bay, and it's hot. In Malawi in summer, it's hotter. Hot, 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 hot. Down south, it's hot, hot. Some of you have been there. You know what I'm talking about. And so we were into this like, camping trip two weeks, going to churches, ministering. It was going great. And, and I mean, we, we had our tent, and we slept. But we get to this one village, and we're preaching in this church, and it's great, whatever. And this, this business guy comes up to us afterwards and says, you and your team. You are not sleeping in a tent tonight. You're going to sleep in my hotel. You know, it's like, oh, Jesus, thank you. Woohoo! Yeah. <laughs> we get to this building. Yeah. I, honestly, I thought it was more like a brothel because there was some very dodgy kind of characters who were kind of in and out. So, anyway, and listen, we've been to some dodgy places before. But, but so we get to this and. So now we, we're coming into this hotel and we get each given our room. So I walk into my, my cell, I mean, hotel room, and, and literally there's like, there's a, there's a steel bed, and, and I mean, there's, there's a window, but there's not, nothing. It's just like a hole, you know, it's like no window or not, just, just a hole, and there's the bed, and there's, there's no, well, there was a mattress, and then there's a thick blanket. And I, I remember sitting there thinking to myself, well, I am going to die tonight, but, 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 I, c I, can, I can choose how to die. Because basically, I mean, if, I mean, you got to remember, this is now Malawi, this is like midsummer. The, the mozzies don't come in ones and twos. They squadrons. I mean, you can just literally see the malaria on them, you know. So up to now, it's been fine because we're like in a tent, malaria-proof, perfect. Now we're in a hotel, prob with no windows or anything. So now you think to yourself, okay, if I pull the blanket over me, I mean, it's already like 42, 43 without a blanket. So if I wrap myself in a blanket... I mean, I'm going to die. You will, you, I mean, you're, going, you're going to exhaust. You'll hit like some kind of wind shock and then you die or whatever. Or I take the blanket off 
and then like waves of mozzies settle on you and they pump malaria into you and you toast. So you sit there kind of thinking, how do I actually want? So my point is this, and there is a point. It's said hotel on the outside. I've been to only once or twice in my life. I've been to other establishments where it also says hotel, but flip. You know when you, you, you walk in and the bathrobes hanging there and the slippers and the chocolates on the pillows and it's like the angels are singing. And it's just like, it's like this is just pure luxury. I mean, I was made for this. And it's like, hang on. They, like, they both have the same sign outside, but that's where the similarity seems to stop. So now how do you know the difference? I mean, the same sign on the outside hotel, but this is what you get here, this is what you get there. How do you know the difference? Well, obviously, you count the stars. And that's why five stars means you get all of these things. No stars means don't go there. (laughs) The big point is this. There's so many people who are carrying a badge, a title, or a self-description image, I'm a leader. Yeah, yeah, you've got the badge. You've got the sign on the outside. But, but what is happening on the inside? And so that's where the, the five-star leaders, it's, it's not about a leadership skill thing, because actually in the kingdom of God, all of that flows out of a right heart. It's really going to come down to your maturity in Jesus. In fact, the, the more I follow Jesus, the more you realize in the kingdom of God, followership is more important than leadership. And leadership grows when followership grows. That's just the way it is in the kingdom of God. The the one who was most submitted in the whole world, in the history of the world, the most submitted person, you can check it out, Guinea's Book of Records, most submitted person in the world, Jesus Christ. Okay, maybe it's not there, but it should be there. It should be there. The one who was most submitted is the one who carries most glory, honor, and authority. And that's not by coincidence. That's the kingdom of God. And so it really comes down to how well can we be led by Jesus is going to determine how well we are able to lead others. So if we are going to be trained in leadership, that sounds so exciting, and it is, but we can't bypass the Lord, how do I become a better follower of Jesus? Because he wants to work in us and through us, and that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Five-star leadership is about our hearts. So... If you do have your Bibles, hopefully it's in the notes. We're going to go to Acts chapter 6, one of my favorite passages. I love it. Let me read it. It says, In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic, which is a big word for Greek, Jews, among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Hectic. I love that verse. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. Do you have favorite verses? I have favorite verses. You know what I love about this verse? This was the church in Jerusalem. This was the church. This was the church where the Holy Spirit was poured out. This was the church that had real apostles. Forget super apostles. These were Jesus' apostles. This was like the ultimate, the first. And people complained in that church. And I'm just saying, for me, it must, that's what makes it one of my favorites. So as a pastor, it puts me at ease. If people complain in our church, it's okay because they complain. In, anyway, verse number two. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. 
We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Procurus, Nacano, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great wonders and signs among the people. Amazing passage, isn't it? Now, the thing about churches is, I was chatting with the church staff this morning, and churches don't normally grow in a linear fashion. They normally grow in kind of... A church will grow to its sort of capacity, and then it'll either it'll, it'll flatten out because, for example, the average size of church in the whole world is about 60 or so, and that's normally because one person can lead a church like that. So many of the older traditional type churches, like one person can lead a church, you can look after, but if you want to take it to the next level, you've got to go from one person to kind of a team. And everything in the future has to be more and more from one leading to teams leading to more and more teams being empowered to lead. And that's exactly what happened here. They hit a junction in the life of the church where something had to change. The kind of team and the way things that got them that far is not going to be the team and the way things are going to get them into the future. I believe God's got you guys in exactly this thing. Coming through COVID, God rearranged things. God's opened new doors. God's arranged some leaders in, some changing here. I believe that God has got you in a season right now where it's never going to be business as usual. God is, I believe, positioning a team to take this church into its next season. And it's going to be a season where God is going to be putting his finger on some people's lives. I'm super excited this weekend. I'm releasing some new elders. I'm sure there's going to be new deacons, new people stepping in to what God's called them to. Because the team that got you here, which has been an amazing 21-year journey, you had your celebration birthday, now chances are God's going to introduce a new team to take you to the next level of what God has for you. And you're not here by accident. The Bible tells us that He determines the exact times and places where we should live. And so maybe you don't see yourself as the next generation leader, but God's got you here. And I believe God has a plan for it. So... Why did they appoint leaders, and why is it so important? Uh, this is not in your notes, but I was pondering one of the trips we did once when we went to Brazil. For some stupid, stupid reason, we decided to drive from Sao Paulo to Belo Horizonte, which is about a 10-hour drive, where, it's where like, there was an equipped training happening. If that wasn't doff enough, we had our two little kids with us at the time. Let's go and do a 10-hour driving trip in the middle of Brazil. Just as an aside, I've, I have been vomited on in every, every mode of transport there is. Ships, planes, buses, everything. I've, kids have vomited on me. It's fine. The point is this. Did the 10-hour drive, and, and as I was pondering that, I actually thought to myself, doing the drive backwards, it would have been quite interesting because I would have left Belo Horizonte where my car was parked in someone's driveway. It's because she's got room for one car. I would have driven out of there, and I would have driven onto a little road that had two lanes, 
which would have got wider. And as I'm leaving the, the outskirts of the city, I would have got onto a two-lane highway for a couple of hours. And as you get into Sao Paulo province, then it extends to three and four-lane highways. And then once you get into Sao Paulo, the city, I mean, you know, remember that city, there's 10 lanes each side of the freeway. So, so I started in the morning when, when my car's in like a one little lane thing, and I finished off in 10 lanes. You, you see, the infrastructure for there is different to the infrastructure for here. You, you can't, this amount of traffic can't exist on single roads there. It's just going to lead to frustration. In fact, the, the more, the closer you get to, to the destination, the mature, the bigger the city, the more lanes are needed. And what's going to happen is as the church grows, it's like more lanes develop. There's more ministry, there's more people, there's more opportunities, there's more things they need to do. And so if you've still got a one-lane thinking, now you're completely out of depth. Just like you can't take all that traffic and put it in one lane, you can't take one car and put it there because it's just dwarfed. Now what begins to happen is right here, more lanes were developed. We had Peter and John, the apostles of Jesus, preaching and ministering, but now as... People got saved, now they've got to do hezbosuk, and they've got to visit, and now they've got to feed the widows, and now they've got to do this, and this, and this, and this. And next thing, it went from one lane, we just got to preach the gospel, to two lanes, we've got to preach, and we've got to do some of this, and then three lanes, four lanes, five lanes, we've got all these ministry activities, and admin, and this, and this, dwarfed. But as it happens, I mean, they knew what to do. By the grace of God, they released a team so that different people can start running in their different lanes, to be able to get the job done. This is why leadership is critical. Sitting in a room like this, I absolutely love, remember we spoke about why do you persecute me? That means we are the body. That's where Paul's theology of body came from, which means you might be sitting next to an ear, a nose, uh, I mean a hand, a foot. Look at the person next to you. You might actually, I mean, you start looking at people differently when you understand theology. But the beauty of it is, is sitting here tonight are an array of different gifts that God wants you to, to run in your lane. Because there are things that you can do that Bruce is useless at. Amen. No, no, it's just, it's just the way it is. And, and we've got to be comfortable with that. I've got some strengths. I'm not being arrogant. God gave me some gifts. I've got some gifts, but boy, do I have weaknesses. Don't say amen. <laughs> but that's okay because we're called to be part of a body. But what we need is all members of the body to be able to do what God's called them to do. So let's get into uh, the practical stuff now. One more introductory comment before we get there. It says in uh, verse number three, so if you've got your notes in front of you, verse number three, it says, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known. Why don't you say the word Known. What does known mean? Well, it, it means there's relationship. If it says known to be, it means there's some kind of reputation. This is a huge kingdom principle right here. I've had people come to me and say, hey, we need a, we need a new kids ministry kind of leader. Or actually, we need a full-time kids ministry person to oversee kids ministry. I'm like, Yo, that would be amazing. Let's get Mary because she would do an amazing job. Wow, okay. What, what, is Mary involved in the kids' ministry at the moment? No. Like, well, why not? No, she's like busy or this or this or this. And it's like, no. 
we, we need someone to, to run this. What are they doing at the moment? They're involved. Well, they, oh, no, they're kind of just on the sidelines. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Here it speaks about being known. In the kingdom of God, you don't get a position and then start doing the job. You do it, and then the doors open for you. Does that make sense? Now, this is a huge, huge thing, because some people sit back. It's like, one day, when are people going to give me the opportunity? Well, duh, what are you doing now? Don't wait for the opportunity or the position or the title, thinking that if I get that, then I'm going to start acting like a leader. Then I'm going to come early to meetings. Then I'm going to be prayed up. Then I'm going to focus on encouraging others. If they would just make me a deacon, I'm going to deek. No, deek now. <laughs> deek now, and God will make. Does that make sense? But that's what the Bible talks about. We, we, that's why I want to challenge you tonight. Don't wait. They were known before they were released. Don't wait to be released to become known. Become known and then you'll be released. So, let's get into it. Five stars. How's the time doing? Okay. Five star leadership. I want us to look at that passage quickly and count the five full ofs. Time starts now. Full ofs. can call one out when you find one. They were full of the Holy Spirit, number one. What else did you say? Full of? Full of wisdom. Yep, full of? Full of faith. Full of God's grace. Full of power. That's it. Did you all find them? Let's read them through together. Let's go up to verse number three. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. Star number one, star number two. Let's go down to verse number five. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. We already had that one. Let's go down to verse number eight. Now Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. I want to suggest tonight these five areas of fullness. Now, all of us will have them in some degree just because we're born again. But remember we talk about the word full. Full, full. I want us to meditate tonight on what does it mean to be full of the Spirit? What does it mean to be full of wisdom? What does it mean to be full of faith? Full of God's grace, full of power. And, and for me, I'm just trusting we're as full of the Spirit as we want to be, that God would stir in our heart. Lord, I want to lift my expectation. I want to lift my vision. I want to be a five-star leader. Here we go. Number one. Now I've lost my place. Number one, full of the Holy Spirit. I was challenged early last year. I live in the Richards Bay, and in Richards Bay, it is hot. Like, not quite Malawi hot, but hot, hot, hot. And, and I read in the book of Exodus, Leviticus, one of those books, I read this little verse. It said, a priest is not allowed to wear clothing made of wool and cotton, because they may not perspire in God's presence. I'm thinking, flip. Bible. <laughs> I will find it for you, but it is in it. And I'm like, huh? how the heck? I mean, we are the priesthood of all believers. No perspiring in God's presence. I mean, I'm like, oh, Lord, this is, this is hard. 
But I mean, why mixing wool and cotton? And often the Bible speaks about mixing. Don't mix two types of seed in a field. Don't mix this. Don't mix this. So why this mixing? And for me, there's probably a deeper explanation, but simply for me is, is mixing, in this case, two types of material is almost like two types of kingdom. And I began to wonder how much of what I do is, is kingdom of God and how much is kingdom of the world and how much have I mixed the two? I mean, I'm doing my pastor stuff, but how much of my pastor stuff is actually bringing some worldly stuff into it as well? You see, here's the thing. Perspiration means your flesh is working. I mean, that's what perspiration means. So basically God's saying, priests, I don't want your flesh working in my presence. Isn't that the challenge? I'm like, yo, Lord. Paul was amazing. Now, Paul is a great communicator. I'm convinced of it. And yet, he said, I don't come with wise and persuasive words. I don't want your faith to rest on my ability. I want your faith to rest on God's power. So he says, my message and my preaching, it's going to be simple, plain, because I want you to catch God's heart and not be impressed by my preaching ability. That takes faith for a communicator. But Paul's desire was that people would truly... Paul's desire was rather that the Holy Spirit would be working and not our flesh. That's a huge challenge for me. So now, with that thinking in mind, my question to you is, how would you know? Because remember it says, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit. So if we had to look around right now and say, who should we choose? Okay, let's choose hope. (laughs) Why, Why would you say, yo, Hope is so full of the Holy Spirit. That guy's amazing. What would make you, what would you see in his life that would make you go, yo, that guy's full of the Holy Spirit? Fruit. What do you mean by that? So in in other words, brilliant. So so you recognizing, yo, I used to know hope. (laughs) He's changed. (laughs) In other words, we can see the evidence that the Holy Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, that's Proof that the Holy Spirit is at work inside him. Brilliant. What else? How do you know someone's full of the Holy Spirit? Don't cheat now and read notes. That's the problem with notes. Just, I can see some of you like, ah, no. By the way you? By the way you lead yourself. Yeah, pretty similar in some ways to that fruit. Because, I mean, part of the fruit, that self-discipline and things like that. But, yep, they'll see it in the way you lead yourself. What else? I think gifts of the Spirit are huge as well. Because just like fruit, fruit is evidence that your character is now being more controlled by the Spirit than the flesh. Flesh is just greedy, selfish, lustful, wants its own thing. The Holy Spirit wants to love others. And so who's winning the battle? The fruit will show in your life. The gifts, in the same way, is, is you can do stuff, make it happen, pragmatic, worldly experience. Jesus said, by myself, I can do nothing. So he would lean into the Holy Spirit, not just for character, but for what he did as well. That's what the gifts are about. What's another one? Why would you say that? Yeah. Love, joy, peace. Peace. What I love about actually this fruit of the Spirit is really a sign of maturity. It takes maturity to relinquish more and more control of your heart to the Holy Spirit. What else? We've had gifts. We've had fruit. Love. 
I mean, that is, in, in fact, all of the fruit of the Spirit comes down to that. There's one other one. It says where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is there is peace, but there is freedom, liberty. In other words, breaking out, I've got a sneaky heresy suspicion that all of us are actually sinaholics. It's just your addiction that changes. Some addictions are obvious on the outside, but some people can be addicted on the inside to depression, the past, bitterness, all of these kind of things. So, so sometimes we can see people's addictions quite easily, but pretty much chances are all of us actually know our own hearts and have our own kind of sin addictions. With the Spirit of the Lord is there's freedom. There should be a breaking out. I love the fact that Jesus saves us from sin, not just in sin, he saves us from sin. Someone, uh, I remember, I think it was David Pawson once, he was an unbeliever, and, and he asked him straight, he said to David Pawson, what sins has Jesus saved you from? And he suddenly thought, yo, I know Jesus has forgiven me for this, 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 and this, but I sometimes actually still do this, 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 and this. So it's one thing being saved, I mean, forgiven in your sin, but have you been saved from your sin? We should, in Christ, be getting out of sin and more into liberty and freedom. So, number one, full of the Holy Spirit. And we've read most of those scriptures. Galatians 5, 22, 2 Corinthians. Yeah. And it's just for lighthouse. Those are the teachings that we've done. Another one would be seven manifestations of the Spirit of God in the flesh. And then from a guy's the Spirit of the Lord rested in him and he had a seven manifestations. It would be another one for our context. Does that make sense? Absolutely. I mean, I, my question is always, I love reading everything Paul writes and thinking to myself, where did he get this from? I mean, where, where did Paul suddenly start writing this list of gifts? Was it just download from heaven? No, chances are it was always something out of the Old Testament that was illuminated. And pretty much what you're talking about is a lot of that. Those, those seven manifestations of the Spirit are really the root of the different gifts of the Spirit, which are now being operated. So uh, absolutely. So uh, remember the Ephesians 5.18, bottom of that uh, little point number one. Don't be drunk with wine because it will ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. I love that analogy. How many of you know how to get drunk? <laughs> one honest guy. <car. laughs> Basically, the, the way to get drunk is like choose your beverage and then drink repeatedly. And, and the more you repeat said action, the more your behavior begins to be modified by that. Now, with that thinking, Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, which influences you to debauchery. It says, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So, so in other words, the whole thinking that Paul's already set up the analogy, this is the picture, and now just do that with the Holy Spirit. So here's the questions. Each of them have given you some homework because there's no such thing as a free dinner. Leadership application, and we're not going to go through them now. I'll just try and answer one of the questions, but uh, I would love you to, maybe in your devotion over the next couple of days, think through some of these. That question number two, though, how do you fill your tank with the Holy Spirit? How do you fill? Bruce, how do you fill your tank with the Holy Spirit? I mean, say, don't get drunk on wine, be full. How do you fill your tank? Personal prayer. Yeah, how, how, do you, how do you fill your tank? Yeah, yeah. Ask. Yeah. 
It's true. How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Anyone else got any others? Be still and know that I am God. Yeah? Yeah. Obedience. Because sometimes, you know what, you can try and fill the bucket, but if there's a huge hole in the bucket, and, and sometimes in repentance and rest is your salvation. Repent so that times of refreshing will come from the Lord. And the most draining thing sometimes is when you're stubbornly refusing to repent. And you're trying to justify, 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 but you know the Holy Spirit is just prodding you. You know it's wrong. And then finally you surrender, and it's like, whew, full. That is, um, be full. One of the signs of maturity is to know when you need filling and living a lifestyle of filling. You know, we, we come together. When we sang one song tonight, whew, some people sing songs. Actually, some people don't even sing. They just stand there. But, I mean, we can sing songs, or actually those are amazing times. Come and fill me afresh, Lord. Just come and fill me afresh. Through prayer, I'm a prayer walker as well. I pray much better just out there walking. For me, the greatest way is, is when God speaks to me. And, and it's normally out of His Word. Just meditating on His Word as God speaks. Supercharged. And you can be down in the dumps, flat, depressed, whatever. God, I need to hear your voice. And it's like when Scripture comes alive and it just... So let's move along quickly. Number two. Full of wisdom. What does it look like? It says, remember, who are known. How would you know that someone is full of wisdom? They're full of humility. Why would you say that? It's amazing, eh? It does say that. It actually says, with the humility that comes from wisdom, and it says the wisdom that comes from humility. Yeah. 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 It's good. What else? How would you recognize ah, this guy? Sure. Max, what a guy of wisdom, eh? Yo. I mean, why would someone say that about someone? I mean, what, what else would, would their life reflect? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 So, so how would you know then that someone has wisdom? I mean, you can quote a whole lot of verses. It doesn't mean to say you have it. Pretty much, eh? I mean, really, you the sum total. Your life now is the sum total of the decisions you've made in the past. And, and so you can look at someone and realize, this guy must be a guy of wisdom because I can look at his family, I can look at his marriage, I can look at his children, I can look and I can see track record of good decision making, which comes from understanding the wisdom of God. It's a beautiful thing. In fact, I love that verse. I've been pondering this thing. When, when James was saying that, the wisdom of God is first... Pure. 
Isn't that weird? Like he just he like pulls us out. Yeah, the wisdom of God is first pure. It's amazing, eh? So here's, here's where God's wisdom starts, when it's untainted by your stuff. You know, this is a great idea, especially because I'm going to get a kickback from it. That's not wisdom. That, that's got a hook in it. God's wisdom is first pure, untainted by our own human kind of... Anyway, just personal testimony-wise, I mean, wisdom is, is seen in people's decisions. Wisdom is the ability... To, to get to the root of issues. I think you, you mentioned in terms of building upon the sand or upon the rock. I love when, uh, when Solomon, remember that his famous divide the baby in half, whatever. He had the ability to go to the root of something. Grant Crawford, some of you have heard of him. It's just amazing. I was chatting to him recently about uh, wanting to, to release a leader in terms of taking over something. And he just said straight, he just asked me one question. Hey, Brent, what, um, what have they started in their lives? And in terms of the, have, they, have they started a business, I said, well, he's, uh, he's, a, he's a maintenance manager. Yeah, that's a manager, Brent. You don't want to hand that over to a manager. You've got to hand that over to someone who's got a track record of starting something. And I suddenly thought, flip, that's exactly it. He just put his finger, that's the root. So why do you think that when, when the apostles said, now let's choose some leaders, first quarry, we need them to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, full of the Holy Spirit, yielded submissive fruit, plus the ability to make good decisions in their lives. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. So let me go through these quickly. How would you recognize this in someone? Jesus, the source of wisdom. Colossians 2 verse 3, in him lie hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is seen more than heard, James three seventeen. but this wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's also peace-loving, gentle at all times, willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Wisdom is available in the midst of trials if we ask for it and believe. James 1 verse 5, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. How many of you ask God for wisdom regularly in your normal, non-churchy kind of spiritual jobs? It's amazing how it works, eh? It's absolutely amazing how God answers that prayer. And I'm telling you, I, I wish sometimes I could, I wish I could compare, you know, like parallel universe type thing. This is Brent when he just plods through life thinking he's got answers, pragmatic wisdom and experience of the past, make your own decisions. This is Brent who's like all the time saying, Holy Spirit, I haven't a clue what to do. What should I do here? Holy Spirit, how do I do this? Holy Spirit, what should... I wish I could look at the difference in terms of fruitfulness and effectiveness of our lives. We have this amazing gift of the Holy Spirit available to us. Let's move along quickly. Number three, full of the Spirit, full of wisdom. Number three, full of faith. How would you know who should I pick on now? Let's pick on Kimberly. Kimberly, yo, that woman yo, is so full of faith. It amazes me. Why would you describe someone as, yo, they're full of faith? Okay. What kind of example are you thinking about? Yeah, yeah. I suppose the classic spas. We we look like grasshopper in their eyes. 
Caleb and Joshua say like nonsense. God says we can do it. Exactly, yeah? Got it. What else? Let me ask you this question. How do you spell faith? That's right. R-I-S-K. There's no faith in the boat. Go, Peter, you can do it. Woohoo! That's not faith. <laughs> There's no faith in the comfort zone. Faith requires, faith, real faith is always, I've been so rebuked lately. And you know what Jesus kept on saying? It says, when Jesus saw their faith, when Jesus saw her faith, when Jesus saw, faith has to be seen to be real. His disciples say, oh, Jesus, come and increase our faith. And he's like, no, 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 no. If you had faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move. You don't need more faith. You just need real faith. Kind of as a slap in the face. Because suddenly, that James, we've just read that verse about if anyone lacks wisdom, ask of God. And he says, but when you ask, you, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave tossed. He is double-minded. And stable in all of his ways. And I've been meditating on that thing of what it means to be double-minded. Double-minded means this. Oh, Lord, we are trusting you for sunshine today. Bring the umbrella. We are trusting you. for. That's exactly what double-minded means. It means Jesus cannot see that faith. I don't see faith right now, Brent. I see you holding an umbrella praying for sunshine. So, I mean, it, it challenges me because, I mean, like, Lord, why are we not seeing more healing? Like, Lord, heal them in Jesus' name, and if it's not really your will to heal them now, please bless the surgeon tomorrow. <laughs> Versus, give me your hand, in Jesus' name, get up on your feet and be healed. You can see faith here, you can't see faith here. It's like, oh, Lord, is this real faith? Whew. It's a challenge, eh? Full of faith, full of faith. Here's a couple of, uh, maybe I, just reflecting on my own life, we we had an amazing gift. Just before we planted the church, we were at a church planters training. Rory Dyer, some of you have heard of him. He was ministering to us. And, and long story short, I'm not going to go through it, but he preached that day on, on the power of the gracious hand of God upon Nehemiah. Nehemiah was that guy who wanted to build the walls. And he went to the king, and, and he gave the king the shopping list of everything needed. And then it says, because the gracious hand of God was upon me, the king granted all my requests. And in that moment, I had one of those head to heart. Both Kate, my wife, and I head to heart. Bam, revelation. And so as we went into the church plan, Lord, we need a venue, a place to live. We need a chad. We need a, all of these things in our church. And I mean, we just like, Lord, I know your gracious hand is upon us. And we just saw the evidence after evidence. We went into building projects. Lord, we know. In fact, I had one of the businessmen come to me once and say, young man, I get intimidated. So young man, like hectic. How do you plan on paying for this building? I'm like, oh, dear God, I wish I had a good financial fiscal policy strategy. I'm not a, having a clue what those words mean. I don't even know. And I said to him, gracious hand of God is, is going to supply. And he looked at me and he said, good. Let's not go into debt. Let's trust the Lord. Then he put in about $2 million. And I just read, oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that actually we didn't try and get clever it, it was revelation always precedes resources. My, my point is this. When we, when we went into future things where we're trusting you, Lord, for this or this, I've got faith, Lord, your gracious hand is going to provide. When I pray for people to be healed, it's strong hope. 
please, Jesus heal them. Please, 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 Lord. I want, I want you to catch the difference here. Praying for this, it's like I've got a substance of faith. Lord, I know you're going to do it. Here, I'm like, please, God, do it. My, my challenge for us, it said they were full of faith. Full of faith means not just strong hope. It means you've dug out those revelations. You've interacted with God. You've been breakthrough. Lord, I've got a substance. Remember, faith comes from hearing. Don't you? I love hearing leaders say this. I felt God say. For me, it's my favorite thing. Is, is when you listen to someone's language, and they, and they, I felt God say this. Bruce is amazing at that. Hey, felt God saying this to me, and God said to me this, and it's like, that's where faith comes from. Have you, when last did you have a, I felt God say, and so we're doing this? That's faith. See, if, if, you, if I went to any area of your life and said, why do you treat the wife, your wife, the way you do? I don't know, I saw my folks do that. That's, that's, that's not building on a foundation of faith. If you can take any area of your life, trace it back, because actually God's word says this, and you're building on faith. Every area, every decision, everything we do, are we building it on faith, or are we building it on experience or pragmatism? So, faith is seen in victorious Christian living. Uh, that's obvious. Faith comes developed through listening to God through his word. Uh, we need to fight the good fight. Isn't it amazing? That verse, John, uh, where was it? Anyway, it's in the Bible where Timothy said, I mean, Paul said to Timothy, and he said, Timothy, fight the good fight of the faith. Isn't it amazing that our battle is actually not against Satan? I mean, he's a conquered foe. Our real fight is to stand in faith. When doubt and insecurity and worry and all of those things, the real fight is, Lord, we want to keep on trusting you through the storm. So let's uh, jump all the way to point number four. Of course. I love asking people, do you think David was scared when he faced Goliath? Some people are like, mm, yeah. because if you don't think he was afraid, you'll never face a giant because you'll be afraid. Let me say that again. If, if you don't think David was afraid when he faced Goliath, you will never face a giant because you will be afraid. And so if in your theology is like David had no fear, it's like, come on, take him on. If you, that's what you think, you'll never face a giant because you're like, no way, I'm scared. I'm telling you, David was scared. But his fear was here, his faith was here. So if you're waiting for the day when you don't feel fear to do what God's called you to do, you're going to sit on the bleachers and spectate for the rest of your life. It's almost as if we live in, uh, in, in, in Richards Bay, there's like a speed bump pandemic it's, no, literally, it's like mumps. They come up everywhere. Every, you, next day, you drive another road, and there's another bump or two along the road. They're everywhere. And it's, 
But it's, it's the same with Christians. Just in front of every step of faith is a speed bump of fear. That's what it is. And that's what stops most Christians from doing what God calls them to do is that speed bump of fear right in front of them. That's why the gift of encouragement is so important. But that's why faith, go get to the point when your faith is more than your fear. And, and here's the thing. When, when Bruce gets up, and I mean, I mean, Bruce is the extroverted, bold, like God has said, let's do this. What he's really saying is, I'm 67% sure that God might have spoken clearly to me about this. <laughs> That's actually what he's saying, because that's what leaders do. I'd love to say it's 100% done and dusted. I really think I've heard God. I've tested it. I've prayed. I'm really sure that God has spoken. Let's, does that make sense? So sometimes when you see a leader, someone once said this. I hate this quote, but I can't forget it. Leadership is the art of disguising terror. Because for me, it's true. That's exactly what I mean. It's like, oh, Brent, you look big and bold up there if only you knew. <laughs> so if you're waiting to feel big and bold before you get up and lead, never going to get there. Full of faith. Full of faith. Okay, let's talk about full of grace. This is such a huge one. Ah, ah, uh, Ian McKellar. Some of you have heard Ian McKellar talking or met Ian McKellar. He, he said something once. He gave an illustration which has profoundly impacted me since I heard it years ago. And it was simply this. There was a psychologist who, who looked back on all of his case history, trying to work out. And he, he went through all of his clients, whatever you call them. Like these ones changed, this person didn't, this person changed, this one didn't. He made two piles. All the people, they had the same kinds of problems. He gave the same kind of advice. These people changed, these ones never did. Why? And he's kind of trying to look for what was the thing that made some people change and some not change. You know what he discovered? People who are not surrounded by loving relationships cannot change. It's profound, isn't it? In other words, sometimes you can know, I know exactly what I'm supposed to do, but the Bible actually gives us the clue. It says, but love builds up. If, if you're not built up by love, you literally, as much as you know you need to change, should change, have to change, can't change, without an environment of love. That's why, for me, my favorite leadership kind of thought is, is, is I call it glorious leadership. I love, it's one of my life scriptures, John 1 verse 14. It says, we have seen the glory of the one and only Son, who, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is what glory looks like. Glory of God looks like grace and truth perfectly combining. Not half-half, 100% grace, 100% truth, beautifully working together. And I believe that's the key in this age of, let me just say it like it is, in this age of LGBTQ, all kinds of political this and that, you know what's going to unlock it? 100% truth with 100% grace. Church, we don't compromise truth. We, we know what we believe. We are absolute truthers. We believe truth is not ours, it's God's. And truth is not up to us to decide what's true or not God's defined truth. But 100% grace that goes with it. And for me, that's glorious leadership. So let's talk about full of grace. How would, why would you describe someone? Hillary, oh, she's so full of grace. Why would someone, what would they see in someone to say, yo, that person's full of grace? Passion. Passion. Why would you say that? Compassion. Compassion. 
Yeah. Yeah. Amazing, eh? Forgiving. Oh, beautiful. I mean, for me, full of grace, in some ways it's almost like EQ on steroids. EQ means, you know, that emotion. You're sensitive to others. You're not self-consumed, but but it's anointed emotional intelligence. There's a gracious, grace always builds up. Grace covers sin and empowers at the same time. That's what we get from the throne of grace, remember? We receive mercy, find grace to help us. So part of it like that is the, the forgiving and empowering at the same time. In fact, reminds me of the story, actually, I I mean, just be vulnerable for a moment. I come from a, a background which would probably be considered homophobic. And, and then our church, we, we started getting, I don't know what it's about, Richard's by, but we've got lots of lesbian couples, many of them married, and, and, and some of them came into our church. And, and at first, I'm like, you don't know what to do. And, and I sat down to, to speak to some of these women and just like, tell me your story. And as they began to speak, that thing that you talked about, that compassion, was like that where once there was like a uh, compassion broken. And I think it was, for me, it was, it, was, it was a healing moment actually when I realized I'm carrying all kinds of prejudices and this and this and this until you actually connect with someone's heart. And then compassion takes over your preconceived this, that, and the next thing. I'm not talking right or wrong. I'm talking grace, full of grace. I'm telling you, what's going to make the church glorious, shining, is the ability to do these two things together. Now, most times, not most times, I I think every one of us are born one side of the spectrum or the other. You're born on the grace side or the truth side, and normally you marry the opposite. (laughs) I mean, it's just the way it is. No, it's true. I mean, I'm I'm born on the grace side. My problem is, sometimes as an elder, the Bible says elders correct, rebuke, and courage. So sometimes I've got to deal. Poor Steve, I'm dealing with him. Like, there's an issue in his life. I need to correct him. So my wife and I are like, made an appointment. We're saying, I've got to really rebuke you now. And, and like, I'm talking and talking, and, and my wife whispers in my ear, babe, all you've done is encourage him so far. You actually have to hit him with some truth now. <laughs> and, and in some ways, Bruce, on the other hand, I've had to like, Bruce, buddy, you've got to ease back a little bit. You see, truth sets free, but truth outside of, you know, when, when someone comes to you with truth, your first question in your subconscious mind is, why are you saying this? It's the intent more than the content that your brain is trying to wrap itself around. What's his intention? Why is he saying this? Is he mad at me, angry with me, trying to humiliate me, horrible to me? What? He loves me. He loves me. I've got to realize that. When I realize he loves me, then I'll open my heart to truth. But if I don't get to that thing of he's doing this because he loves me, then I'm defending. No chance. Uh uh-uh, uh, you, you should see what you like. <laughs> That's why grace and truth together are so powerful. And so uh, it's not 50 50, full of grace, full of truth. And we, boy, do we need churches that are full of his grace. Anyway, we've gone through most of those. Let's just land with this last one quickly then, full of power. I remember the first time I ever taught this lesson about five-star leadership. We were in South America somewhere. I think we were in Venezuela, and I was with my good friend, Bruce. You know how friends are there for encouraging each other? Friends are there for each other. Friends bring out the best in each other. So I taught my heart out about this last point, full of God's power. We went to play soccer. 
And uh, one of our Venezuelan uh, buddies went for a header, fell over there, landed on his shoulder, popped his shoulder. He's screaming in pain because he's like dislocated his shoulder, writhing in agony. And it's like, now you're surrounded by Christians. I'm not going to mention who it was. But someone then said, hey, man of power, why don't you pray for him? Because you spoke to us. I'm like, thanks for nothing. <laughs> it was one of those times where God did actually heal him. Bless the Lord. <laughs> what does it mean? Why would, you, why would you describe someone as full of power? What would you be seeing? Because you've got a mate. <laughs> Things happening. Here's the, here's the, God's power is going to be released through spiritual gifts. That's the way it's going to work. Your spiritual gifts, it's not a gift to you. I mean, we know this. It's a gift through you. But you've got to develop it. So, so this is my concern one day, getting to heaven with kind of an unopened gift. It's those spiritual gifts God has given you. He wants to release his love and grace through you, through those gifts. But we've got to learn how to operate it, use it, and grow it. Full of power basically means you've taken responsibility for your spiritual gifts. And for me, that's huge. That's huge. I've got another sneaky pet heresy that, that revival's not just going to come as a cloud from the air. Revival's going to come when, when we take more responsibility for the spiritual gifts God's given us. Because we're always waiting for God to do stuff when actually God's given us. And, and remember, God's desire is always through us rather than just for us. He's done it for us through Jesus. Now he wants to do it through us as his sons and daughters. He wants to release his power, his grace, his, through us. But we've got to then take responsibility for the gifts God's given us. So this one for me is a, is a huge one. We, we want to see the church maturing to use their gifts. Let me just uh, pull out some scriptures. Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. But what does that look like to you? Because sometimes I think if, if we've got this concept in our mind, Acts 1.8, that's what it looked like then. What's it going to look like now? Lord, how do you want to display your power through me? 2 Timothy 1 verse 7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. James 5, 16, confess your sins to each other, pray for each other, so that you may be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. I'm um, struggling with this one. I've got a, a sneaky suspicion that... That healing in particular, I don't know about you, but I'm praying, God, we want to see more healing. But I sometimes wonder, if, if God answered your prayer, like tonight, bam, Steve, gift of healing, everyone you pray for gets healed instantly. Most people wouldn't be able to handle a gift like that. It, it would make you famous. Then people would probably destroy your life because they'd go through every part of your life until they find things to pull apart and... Bible actually says gifts of healing. It's interesting, eh? I thought it was just a gift. No, it's gifts of healing. I want to encourage some of you to, to not just pursue healing, pursue a particular gift of healing. Because I kind of have this sneaky suspicion. I, I mean, vulnerably, I want to see blinded eyes open. 
I'm a teacher. My passion is God's revelation, and I want to be able to teach in a way that spiritual eyes are open. And I'm like, oh, God, I'd love to start a sermon by praying for people whose physical eyes are blind because that will give some people so much more faith to trust for spiritual eyes to be open when they've seen physical eyes to open. But I haven't had breakthrough yet. We're very limited. Now, I'll just be real with you. It's, it's, for me, it's a pursuit. It's just, God, I, I want, and it, it, I was in Pakistan a few months ago pursuing this, and I've been trying to be faithful, praying. When someone comes to me blinded eyes, I'm going to try and pray for them. So I get up to preach in this one church in Pakistan, row number three, beautiful young Pakistan girl who one eye completely glassed over. And it's like, I'm trying to focus on my notes, but I can't. And, and, and it was like the whole, I want to just finish the sermon so we can pray. And, I, and, and we, I mean, Chad was with me there in Pakistan, and her, her name was Rimsha, and she's still not healed. And, and actually, this is what she looks like, because she, I want, it tortures me 143 times every day when I turn on my phone, because God, I know that you've spoken to me. But sometimes, sometimes the anger has got to burn inside of you, because Jesus, you paid for this. You paid for it. And we haven't, you pay for something on take a lot and they never deliver it. You're going to get mad. No, you are. You're going to phone customer service and you say, this is not right. It's paid for, but we didn't get it. And, and so either we just lie down and it's like, obviously it's not God's will. No, it is his will. Otherwise he wouldn't have paid for it. But we're going to have to fight for it because we're not fighting him. We're fighting, is this real? All those kind of things inside of us. I want to challenge some of you to, to not settle into comfortable, obviously it wasn't God's will. No, it is His will. Go after some of those gifts. God, we're not trying to twist His arm. He's wanting to display. We need leaders who've got a passion, who are willing to imagine. And that's why I've got a sneaky suspicion. It's like your back's sore. Don't come to me, buddy. Go to Max. Headache, don't come to me, Terry, she's the one. She's got faith to pray. Wouldn't it be cool because then no one gets the glory? It's the body. The body is glorified. And, and I just think it would be a beautiful way of the body. Maybe there's something in your heart that God's given you an anger about. Full of the Holy Spirit. Full of wisdom. Full of faith. Full of God's grace. Full of power. I mean, all of that flows out of fullness of the Holy Spirit. This, for me, is, is, is the inner working of leadership in the kingdom of God. Out of that, skills flow, and it's, it's integrative heart, skillful hands. There are skills of leadership. But really what we need is people whose hearts are full. I want, I'm asking you not just to do your homework and some of those questions, but to meditate on this word fullness, fullness. Because we settle into a normal. You, you, many of you have been Christians a long time, and you've got a normal level of full of the Holy Spirit. That's me. I'm, no, no. What, what if that was only half tank? God spoke a word over our church, double portion. What if God wants to double your level of fullness? Go after that. Holy Spirit, I want it. I want more, more of you. Holy Spirit, more of your grace, more faith, more power, more wisdom full of the Holy Spirit. So, before we land, and I want us to pray for a moment, does anyone have any questions or comments or thoughts? Otherwise, I've got a question for you. Ian.
Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And, and listen, I'm an I'm a engineer by background. I'm always looking for formulas, and we're not going to find a formula because the formula of the New Testament is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. One of my favorite scriptures is Jesus when he's, uh, he's walking through Jericho to get to Jerusalem, and it says that when he reached the spot, he looked up and there was Zacchaeus. And I wondered to myself, how many spots are there? It says he reached the spot, and he looked up. And it's almost like kind of as I go about my day, how many spots have I walked over without knowing just what you're saying there? That was a Holy Spirit spot, and you just missed it. I suppose for me, that thing I spoke about, the speed bumps, all of us here have got incredible gifts, callings, anointings, but we face barriers of fear. Bible says, encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today. I'm convinced everyone's got an RDA, recommended daily allowance of encouragement. And that's why the gift of encouragement is so important, because literally I know in front of every single one of us is a speed bump right now of fear that we need to get over. And so one of the things practically is to make sure that we're nudging one another. Hey, you've seen gifts, you've seen, in, you've seen things in people's lives, nudge them because that's what's holding them back. So one way, I mean, that's why Barnabas, one of my favorite leaders, I mean, he was the son of encouragement. That just, just growing your gift of encouragement will promote you as a leader to next level. But the other thing, and this for me is, is a passion, is, I mean, you remember the four-minute mile story? That's the problem. It was impossible. It is impossible to run a mile in under four minutes until someone did it. Roger Bannister. Once he did it, one after another, others began to break through as well because that's the limitation. This is what it means to be a normal Christian full of the Holy Spirit until someone says, no, it's probably not normal. That's probably only like half. Let's break through. Let's take ownership. Let's, let's. And then what it does is it creates for others to come through. And that's leadership. Leadership is not settling back into a normal. It's pursuing something more, not just for you, but for then others can break through that as well. So encourage the people around you, but go after it yourself because your example will open the way for others too. Good question. Which of those five, just personally right now, is God nudging you? 
to grow in fullness, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of God's grace, full of power, who's bold enough to be accountable. Come on, who's going to give me one? Yeah, brilliant. Full of faith. We need leaders who are full of faith. I love leading teams of people who are faith people. Because then stuff happens. I love it, yeah. Full of grace. Tell you, and that's why, it's quite an oxymoron. Grace is not my strong suit. Because my grace is sufficient for your lack of grace. That's amazing. Good. Anyone else? Yeah. Wisdom. Yeah. Yeah, it's huge, eh? Yeah, brilliant. Follow the Spirit. Come on. It, it does, eh? It's beautiful, eh? Yeah. Power. Go for it. Max, yeah? Full of faith. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess, I mean, all five of them, all of us are probably not full. But, I mean, we're at different levels, but absolutely, oh, fullness. That's, I just want us to hold on to that word, and that's what I'd love to pray for us now. If, if, if I could in a moment praying, just, oh, Lord, greater fullness. Anything you want to add, bud?